You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Podcast hosts, they're not sending their best. Or we're not sending our best, at least not this week, because I'm sick, really sick, some sort of stomach bug or food poisoning. I don't want to get too graphic, but I've basically been sitting on the toilet now for more than 24 hours. So I don't have a show opener for this week. Sorry about that. But I would like to leave you with this thought, or I would like to propose this new cultural norm, a cultural norm I would personally like to see adopted everywhere immediately. When one person in a house has to run to the bathroom roughly every 45 minutes over a 24-hour period and it's an emergency each and every time, if that person's failure to make it to the toilet would result in a literal shit show, the other people who live in that house are allowed to use the bathroom, of course, but they are not allowed to take their phones into the bathroom with them when they do. I don't know if there's been any research in this area, but I have observed that bathroom visits with phones last about four times longer and bathroom visits without phones. I'm guilty of this as well myself. And it's usually not a problem. But when somebody has food poisoning, waiting is a problem. So no phones in the bathrooms. When someone in your house has food poisoning or a stomach bug, the carpets you save may be your own. Hey, Dan. So like you and so many others, when Trump was elected, I made the decision that I would not fuck or pursue a relationship with someone who voted for him. And I've stuck to that all of these years. My problem, though, is that I live in a red state and so many of the men I talk to admit that they voted for him and I have to turn them down. I used to not have a problem with it, but now it seems that every man I start to talk to has voted for him and it's getting lonely to continue to turn them down. How do I stick to my guns if not fucking a Trump supporter, but also not feeling alone? All of the guys that you've spoken to who admit voting for Trump Are they planning on voting for him again? Maybe that can be the new line in the sand that you draw. Not that you won't be angry about their vote in 2016, but if they've come to their senses, if they've realized they've made a mistake, you will reward them with a little bit of your pussy in advance of 2020 when they have committed, when they have pledged to you and to the world to vote against that motherfucker if he is on the ballot in 2020 and not in prison in 2020. Hey, Dan, I'm a hetero male and uh, I'm married. And so me and my wife had an open relationship. We weren't polyamorous, but it was open. And we always had two rules that were main, three rules. One, be completely honest. Two, if you think you're starting to have feelings for anyone you're seeing in the relationship. Three, if the other person believes you're having feelings, <clears throat> they can ask you to end the relationship and you have to. Uh, I started getting the feeling that my wife, I was starting to have feelings for this one man and I asked her to end the relationship, but she assured me that she wasn't that, um, basically I was my imagination and that she would never leave me for this other man. And I believed her. I chose to believe her in that situation allowed it to continue. Uh, they had only known each other at this point for a few months and only seen each other maybe uh, a dozen times total. So this would have been three months and a dozen times. Um, and in that period, that guy had told her that he started having a girlfriend, so they had to keep their, their swing on the down low because he didn't want his girlfriend to find out about it. 
uh, fast forward, I finally tell my wife that she can't see him anymore. And she tells me that she's in love with him after three months and 12 times. And that while she loves me and she's very happy with our life, she doesn't know if she can be with me after knowing that he is out there and she could be happier, maybe happier. Like she is willing to risk it. Uh, we are going to do therapy, both individual and couples, and that she is not to have contact with him for two months. The question is, do you think we can come back from this? Do you think this is just merely a case of the grass is greener? Or do people actually fall in love that fast? Because it takes months and upon months for me to even contemplate saying I love you. Uh, it's not something I jump into. And I feel like this is way too short of a time for her to be saying that. It's irrelevant how fast I think you can catch feelings for someone or whether those feelings are legitimate after 12 meetings in three months, which isn't that infrequent, a hookup meeting schedule. That's roughly twice a week over three months. People have caught feelings for someone, they claim, over the course of a weekend, sometimes over the course of an evening. And you can tell your wife that her feelings are illegitimate or she shouldn't feel this way. I could back you up, perhaps, in asserting that to your wife. Not going to change how your wife feels, though. She's in love with this guy. She caught feelings for this guy. and She caught them on her own schedule. And she didn't have to run that schedule by you. She broke all the rules in your open relationship in not ending this relationship, not ending this relationship with this other man when she began to catch feelings for him, lying to you about it when you did your screw diligence and pressed her on it and suggested that maybe she needed to end it and then presented you with a fait accompli that she is in love with this guy. So now what? Can you come back from that? Well, sure. People have come back from worse. Will you come back from this? I couldn't tell you. You're running off to do individual therapy. You're running off to do couples counseling. I endorse both individual therapy. I endorse couples counseling in a circumstance like this. But I can't predict what's going to happen. I can't tell you that you're going to come back from this or patch it up in couples counseling. It could be that you're going to negotiate the terms of your divorce or your separation in couples counseling. So couples counseling isn't always about putting it back together. Sometimes it's about helping two people in a loving and constructive way disassemble it, take it apart. So you're just going to have to wait and see. All that said, if your wife does end things with this man and prioritize your relationship, it's hard to see how even if you can come back from this, you can go back to an open relationship. If you come back from this, if your wife loses the feelings she caught or purges herself of this feelings that she caught for this other man and recommits to you because of these violations of the rules you laid out. It's hard to see how you would be comfortable in an open relationship with your wife, at least for the time being, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe the rest of your marriage would have to be closed so that you feel emotionally safe, secure, and prioritized and she doesn't have another tempting dude that she could catch feelings for land in her bed or between her legs. But that, of course, is if you guys are still together at the end of the couple's counseling process. And that's not a given. Hi, Dan. So I just broke up with my boyfriend of four and a half years last Tuesday. And I'm looking for advice on how to respectfully get him to move out. We both live in an impossibly small one-bedroom apartment where I'm the only one on the lease. For the past three years, I've paid all the bills and living expenses except for a cell phone bill and the Hulu account. 
Um, I've also given him money for school as well as to help him start his business, none of which I expect to have get back or have asked for back. Um, the night we broke up, I asked him how long he needed to remove his stuff, and he said a week, which I did give him, and during that time, I slept at my friend's house on the floor. He didn't pack or clean anything, just left dirty dishes and some bottles around the apartment. In the last month or so of our relationship, he was only really home once or twice a week, always staying over at different friends' place because our relationship really just wasn't something anyone wanted to be in. I've already gotten a newer, nicer, cheaper, closer-to-work apartment um, and really want to be out of my current place by the end of the month. But it's hard to start packing things when he doesn't want me to touch any of his things. So how do I go forward? On top of all of this, his uncle died yesterday. So that's kind of put a kink into his plans as well. Um, Our relationship didn't work out, and it was honestly pretty shitty towards the end. But I still want to remain respectful and considerate to this process. But I want him to take his stuff so I can move out as well and move on with my life. He had his chance to pack his things up himself. He had that week when you stayed at a friend's, you slept on the floor at your friend's, so he could have the apartment to himself and get his shit out of there. And he didn't. He didn't even pack. All he did was leave a mess for you to clean up, leave bottles everywhere, leave dishes in the sink. He has forfeited his right to tell you not to touch his stuff. You don't have to continue to pay for this apartment indefinitely in addition to your new apartment because your boyfriend's uncle died or because he's just reluctant to pack up his shit and go or he's lazy or he's a user or he's trying to punish you for ending the relationship. Yeah, no. Pack all your stuff up. Get it out of the apartment. Get it into your new apartment. Pack all his shit up and then call him. After it's all packed up and you shouldn't have to do this yourself, but you're going to have to do this yourself so you can extricate yourself from this relationship, from this entanglement. After his stuff is packed, call him and tell him his stuff is packed and you're going to leave it inside the apartment by the door. If he doesn't pick it up by the time your lease ends, it'll have to go to the dump or it's going to go onto the porch and then he will have to pick it up or someone's going to come and fucking steal it. He's going to to take a little responsibility for getting his shit out of there. And again, you shouldn't have to do this actual labor, not emotional labor for him by packing his stuff up. But it is in your own best interest to pack it up. And then when you call him, it's packed. You're not asking him if you can pack it. You're not saying I'm going to pack your stuff for you unless – no, you're just – it's all done. It's done. His shit is packed. It's in boxes, not dumped in boxes. Pack it all nicely and it's at the door. Hi, Dan. Quick question. So I started hooking up with a man recently. He's married to a man, uh, open relationship, ethically non-monogamous. The sex is good. We have a good time together, but we don't like really hang out or like get to know each other. Uh, So my question is, he just asked me if he could um, inquire about my services that I, I do for like my business. I freelance and He's looking for some help, like boosting his following and all that. And um, while I'm happy to help, I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I want to mix business with pleasure in this way. I don't really know him. So like it could probably just be okay. Like it could just be like a business relationship and also a sexual one. Um, But I kind of wanted to get your opinion on um, like this type of dynamic of relationship. And like if you think it's a good or bad idea for me to do this. It depends on what he's asking for. 
if he knows that you're in business and you're in his business or the field that he wants to go into, you doing just a bit of a download, sharing with him what you know about the field, that's one thing. If he's asking you to give him contacts, if he's asking you to help him get a job, if he's asking you for references or to do any networking – through you, you can say to him, look, I'm not comfortable doing any of that because as much as I enjoy our sexual relationship, I don't know you. Really, I don't know what kind of an employee you are, what kind of a worker you are, and I can't know those things just from getting dicked down by you. So I'm not comfortable recommending you for jobs when I don't know what kind of a worker you are because that puts my credibility on the line in my field. And Maybe after we get to know each other better, maybe if you want to get to know me better, I'd be comfortable providing you with that. But now, right now, not comfortable with doing that, comfortable with like telling you what I know, comfortable with you asking me questions, but not working my contacts. But I do think that there are people who can mix in a healthy, respectful way business and sex. You know, people have sexual relationships, people have you know, friends with benefits, they have sexual connections. And through those sexual connections and those friends with benefits relationships, and those are indeed relationships, you get a sense for a person. You get a sense for whether someone's a good person or a bad person. Maybe you listen to their professional woes, their work stories, you get a sense for what kind of employee they might be. And people help each other out. People help their fuck buddies out. People help their lovers out. People share tips and contacts often with the people that they're having sex with, but they don't do that. At least they don't do that if they're smart until after they have a really good sense for what kind of person their lover is when they're fully clothed, when they are doing their job and you don't have that data yet and you should just be straight with him about that. Hi, Dan. I am calling because I have a friend who is about to get married. She sent out invites. They came about a week ago. Um, I've known for a while and... I don't think she's marrying the right guy, and I don't know what to do about it. Am I supposed to go to the wedding? How do I get her to not marry him? <laughs> really concerned. Uh, she hasn't been herself since they got together a year and a half ago. She's known him for longer than that, but they've only been really together and dating for about a year and a half. So lots of questions, concerns, and really hoping that my friend doesn't make a big mistake. You take her to dinner or you take her to lunch or you take her to coffee and you speak your piece. You tell her you think that this is a bad idea. You tell her that you don't think this guy is good for her and that she seemed really different over the last year and a half and you are concerned. You will love and support her, whatever choice she ultimately makes. If the relationship isn't abusive, if she's not marrying someone who is just objectively odious, if she's not marrying Stephen Miller, you can, with a clear conscience, go to the wedding of a friend who you think is marrying the wrong person and be there for them and demonstrate to them by showing up that you want to be in their life still, even if you disapprove of their relationship, even if you think that they could do better, even if you think that this relationship isn't good or healthy, you will be there and they can turn to you and they can call on you for your support and your counsel if indeed they decide to end the relationship. But after you speak your piece, you know, you can't, you can't stop your friend from making this mistake. Tell her you think it's a mistake. Ask her why she loves this guy. Ask her why she wants to go through with this wedding. And listen to her. Hear her out. And then go. 
what else can you do? You go to the wedding, you bring a toaster, and you make sure your friend understands that if she ever decides to get out of this relationship, you'll be there for her. And if she ever needs to vent to someone about the relationship that she's in, if she has a problem, if she just wants to talk, you'll be there for her. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at rescue. This is female in your early 30s. I'm mostly straight. Living in a big city in the USA. And I'm in a relationship with a cis male in his late 40s, um, mostly straight. My question is around whether or not I have an obligation to disclose past sex work to my boyfriend. In my 20s, I did some light sex work, mostly happy ending stuff. Some intercourse with clients that I had more of like a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship with. And I did this for about two and a half years to bridge a gap for long-standing unemployment in my professional career and then some underemployment thereafter. Since then, I've sought therapy and realized that my choice um, in doing this was connected to some long-standing sexual abuse in my childhood. Um, I've since made my peace with it. Um, though I am not out about this to most of my friends, I would say less than a handful of really close friends um, know about this part of my past. My boyfriend knows about my trauma and a lot of uh, neglect that I experienced in childhood has been really great in understanding about all of that. But this is that one um, skeleton in the closet that I haven't disclosed. And part of me wants to tell him, but I fear judgment uh, just because of the stigma. And so I'm wondering, do I have an obligation to tell him? I fear because he's of a certain age closer to the demographic of the men that I service. I fear being outed at some point, you know, at a good professional event or dinner party and seeing one of them and having to come to terms with that. So I, I guess I'm just asking help. I, I, I really don't know what to do in this scenario. You're not obligated to disclose this. There are things we have a right to keep to ourselves about our past. We don't have to disclose everything, particularly something that is in the past, to our current romantic partner, particularly when there is a lot of stigma, shame, judgment, and sometimes when people share this kind of information with a romantic partner, it can be met with a violent response. You're not obligated necessarily to share that. But withholding it means living with the stress of being discovered. And you think there may be some overlap between your social or professional circles with your current partner and perhaps a, a former client. And to live with that stress, to, to have to live every day worried that today could be the day that he learns this thing, finds this out, or that you are outed, that's just such a stress engine. It's going to be such a stress engine in your life potentially that – Again, you're not obligated to disclose, but it might be in your own best interest. It might help with your own peace of mind if you could disclose. And you don't have to disclose everything that you did. You can say there was a period in my life where I was broke and I did some light, what a lot of people would consider sex work. And I'm telling you this because I wanted you to hear it from me rather than it coming out in some other way, should it ever come out in some other way. And if he reacts badly to that, well, maybe he's not the right long-term partner for you. 
I think the thing that a lot of people who've done sex work weigh in their heads is, well, what are the odds that the next person I disclose this to also reacts badly and the person after that? And the odds, because the stigma is so great around sex work, are pretty high, which is why a lot of people who've done a little bit of sex work for a short time in their lives, for whatever reason they did the sex work, choose not to disclose this information and cross their fingers and hope that their current romantic partners never find out. And in most cases, I think current romantic partners never do find out. Call it a low probability, high consequence, potentially event. There may be a low probability that you guys will ever run into somebody who's a former client who is so indiscreet as to say something to you in front of your current romantic partner that outs you. And you can rely on the fact that most clients also don't want to out themselves in an interaction like that and will comport themselves. Hopefully, maybe it might be awkward but they're not going to blurt out how they know you in front of your boyfriend or husband necessarily. So again, I want to cast this as a low probability, but you know, high consequence event, low probability. He'll ever discover this on his own, but if he did, it's going to be a high consequence event potentially because he may react very badly a to learning this at all because of horophobia and B that getting mixed in with the resentment of finding out the way that he did, not from you, but from someone else and potentially in a humiliating circumstance for him. If I were in your shoes, I would treat this like a magic sorting hat. I'm going to tell you one thing, one true thing about me and your reaction tells me everything I need to know about you and whether you're the right partner for me. And then if my partner reacted badly, I would give them some space, give them some time to think about their reaction. I would continue to converse with them. I wouldn't just turn on a, a dime and, and stalk away and process it a little bit with them and see if they didn't come around. But if they couldn't come around, if they couldn't get past the horophobia, if they shamed me, I would want them out of my life in the same way I wouldn't want the stress of worrying about when they were going to find out out of my life, which is why I would tell them myself. You get to make your own choice. And in answer to the first question you asked, no, you are not obligated to disclose this. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I have a question for you. Um, I've been married to my husband for eight years and we dated for about five years before that. And uh, we have had, we have three young daughters. So for a large chunk of our, marriage so far. I was pregnant and then breastfeeding and then pregnant again and then breastfeeding, etc. Um, so our sex life took a dive, but like you promised, Dan, and thank you, by the way, for the hope on the horizon that you gave me through those times. Um, eventually, after I stopped breastfeeding and my body got back to normal, my our sex life has taken off again. Uh, we've been sharing some fantasies and just having a lot of sex, basically. Um, so my question is, now that we're doing it more often, I can really tell with my cycle that when I'm just on my period to the point where I'm ovulating, boom, sex drive is awesome. Lots of sex going on. And then, sure enough, it starts to plummet down towards um, when I get my period. But I feel like, as a feminist, to blame my everything on my period is wrong, bad. No, don't do that, right? Like when guys say, 
oh, well, she's PMSing, so she, da da da. So I don't want to do that. That seems like it's backwards thinking, but it's true. That's what's going on. So I'm just torn. Um, how do I talk to my husband about this? He wonders why am I not into it all of a sudden? I say it's my hormones, then does everything become based on my hormones? And um, it seems like a problem, a, not a horrible problem, but it's a problem that I would like your advice on. Am I supposed to tell you you're a bad feminist if you're not having sex when you don't want to have sex, when you're not feeling it? Some women get horny during their periods. Some women want to be sexually active during their periods. And those women often call in because their partners, their male partners, are a little squicked out about period sex and don't want to have sex with them during their periods. But some women don't get horny during their periods. Some women experience a libido crash. And you're not a bad feminist. You're not enslaved to your hormones. If you listen to your body and you have sex when you want to have sex and you don't have sex when you don't want to have sex. And yeah, there are shitty men who point to women's periods as a reason to dismiss a woman and, and how she's feeling or the point that she's making. It's a way of gaslighting a woman. You don't really feel that. That's just your period talking. And this isn't about dismissal of, of your feelings. You are almost attempting to dismiss your feelings by saying it's not legitimate somehow for you to be horny when you're horny and not horny when you aren't horny and for that to be tied to hormone levels. Testosterone is a hormone that plays a large role in a male and, and a woman's arousal patterns. And, and what can you do? It's just the biological hand you were dealt. So have sex when you want to have sex and have a lot of sex when you want to have sex and give your husband the masturbatory assist when you aren't feeling it. If he's horny during your period and you aren't horny, you can just sit on his face and let him crank one out or whatever it is that works for you guys at that moment, whatever works for you at that moment. Some people don't want to be touched when they're not feeling particularly horny, but some people don't mind a little intimacy and contact so long as full sex isn't expected of them. And that's what I call the masturbatory assist. And you could go there, but don't guilt trip yourself about this. And you are not being a bad feminist by wanting to have sex when you want to have it and not having it when you don't want to have it for whatever reason you do or don't want to have it. Quite the opposite. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 70-year-old trans gay man uh, living in the Bay Area, and I had a question about relationships. So last year, I met another trans guy who was um, a really, really great guy. He was a fantastic friend, and I kind of fell hard for him in the first week or so that I knew him. I was only there for a week because it was only a one-week program that I met him in. Um, and we kept in touch for over the year, um, kind of on and off. He lived all the way on the East Coast, and I'm on the West Coast, so it was kind of hard to keep in touch, but we would talk on and off, um, and at first, I was like, my feelings are, I've only known him for a week, they're probably, I'm only infatuated with him, this love isn't real, um, how do I know that I really have a crush on him? as a person and I'm not just in love with the idea of him. So I thought that these feelings would go away. Um, but they've been consistently staying the same for over a year and he's a year ahead of me. So he's coming, he's coming to the West coast for college now and he's here. And my question is, I kind of want to tell him how I feel about him romantically, but I am scared that it might potentially ruin our friendship and even he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would abandon me 
because of this, like, I don't think the romance would get in the way, but there would be that awkwardness, potentially. Worst case scenario, he doesn't want to be with friends with me anymore. And I care about him so, so much. And I don't know, is, should I tell him how I feel in the first place? If I worry this much, should I just keep it to myself? Borrowing a phrase, seeing as these feelings are consistent, persistent, and insistent, you should tell this guy that you have a crush on him. And yeah, there's always a chance that that could ruin a friendship. If indeed this person doesn't feel the same way about you, and the only way to find out if this person feels the same way about you is for one of you to risk saying something to the other. For all you know, he feels the exact same way about you and has the exact same hesitation to speak up that you have. He doesn't want to ruin what he values that you have already, which is this friendship. But you know, telling someone you have a crush on them who only wants to be your friend, that's definitely going to complicate the friendship. And some people can't handle being friends with someone that they had a crush on them or they knew had a crush on them. And it does ruin the friendship or end the friendship or, or, or change it in an irrevocable way. And it becomes something less than it was before. But the other risk is your friend getting this sense over time that you do have a crush on them, but you're not being honest with them and that everything you do then – Every time you reach out to them, every time you hang out with them, that they suspect you have an ulterior motive, that you're, instead of being honest and direct about your feelings, you're trying to creep your way into their pants. And I think it's just better to be honest and direct. So tell them and say, you know, I was a little worried about telling you this. I was afraid to tell you this because I value our friendship so much. And I know that saying this, if you don't feel the same way, is going to create some awkwardness. But I value our friendship so much that I'm willing to stick around and power through the awkwardness and get past it if indeed you don't have the same kind of crush on me that I have on you. And there's a chance, there's always a chance when you say that to someone that they are just so happy you said it because they were feeling it too. No one would ever get laid ever if somebody didn't speak up and risk everything at some point by asking. Hi, Dan. My husband and I just came back from a super fun trip on the West Coast. We attended the Folsom Street Fair for the first time, and we also, while in Nevada, hired our first sex worker, which leads me to my question. We had selected someone off a website and had made initial contact regarding availability, our desires, and to confirm price and conditions. The guy we contacted seemed kind of aloof, but nice enough to keep the plans going, and we figured he's just trying to make his living. However, things began to get what we felt to be aggressive. He asked for a deposit. While this made me uncomfortable, I was trying to see things from his vantage point and not booking a date that would flake, and perhaps stupidly sent him $40. Within a day, he began asking for a tip, and then to be paid in full before the meeting. I politely refused, stating I don't pay anyone in full until the services are rendered, and this includes any contractor or the guy who stains my front porch. He became incensed that we didn't trust him and said we've obviously never booked anyone before. He became so aggressive and insulting that we blocked his number and considered the $40 a loss. We decided to try one more time to see if this is how it goes and thinking this may simply not be for us. The second guy we contacted turned out to be a super nice in his text, accommodating and put us at ease as newbies. He never asked for a dime up front, got there on time and was passionate and giving. We gave him a nice tip, and he even texted us afterwards, stating he hoped we had a good time. These were two extreme experiences, and we are wondering what we should generally expect because we got tired of the work involved in Grinder and think this may be something we'd like to continue doing. Expect the latter. Those are male escort or escort period best practices. 
Nobody expects money up front. Nobody demands to be tipped before a date, before services are rendered. A tip, of course, is a bonus for a job well done, and you can't give somebody a tip for a job well done until the job is done. Yeah, you encountered an aggressive user asshole who was probably using fake pictures and extracting money from nervous newbies like you guys. And he only got away with 40 bucks. Obviously, he wanted to take you for more. I promise you that if you'd sent him more, if you'd sent him full payment in advance, if you'd sent him a tip on top of that in advance, he never would have shown up. And that's probably for the best. Like sometimes you pay to learn a lesson because if this guy who pressured you in this weird way did show up, I promise you, the experience would not have been as pleasant as the experience you had with the escort who treated you guys with respect and with courtesy and sent you a follow-up text. He sounds like a keeper. You guys should make a point of seeing him again. Escorts sometimes travel around the country. He may be in your area. He sounds trustworthy. Maybe you could let him know where it is roughly that you guys live or the nearest big city where you guys live. So if he ever visits that place and you guys would like to see him again and he has time in his schedule to see you again, you could make that happen again. So, You've been treated very poorly by a prospective escort, and you've been treated very well by an escort that you actually hired. You know the difference now between good treatment, bad treatment, between a good escort and a bad escort, between a good witch and a bad witch, and you should insist on the good treatment in future. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old female living on the West Coast. Over the summer, I attended a wedding and met somebody. Um, I had recently gotten out of a relationship, so I wasn't looking for anything long-term. I met this person. We connected really well. However, he lives in a different country, so he left, um, but we have not uh, ended communication since he left, so it's been about two and a half months now. We decided that I would go visit him in his home country in February, and until then, we would have an open physical relationship as far as we would be emotionally monogamous, but physically open, um, but be on a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. So in the past couple weeks, months or so, I have utilized that privilege, if you want to call it that. Um, However, he has made it very clear that he is not and has no plans to, and he is not open to an open relationship once we are physically together. I feel kind of bad because I haven't necessarily lied to him, but I've had to kind of dodge um, questions about where I am at certain places. Not that he's prying, but I just feel like I don't want him to know that I am sleeping with somebody else here to take care of my physical needs. And I feel like I am kind of lying to him in that regard by omitting that information. Um, However, I mean, it's only been a couple months. I I don't know if this is going to be a long-term relationship yet until I can actually be with him again, um, which isn't for another four months. So just wondering if I should feel bad about this, taking care of my physical needs, and should I have the perspective that I'm starting off this relationship kind of by lying to him? You aren't lying to him. Not really. You agreed. You both agreed to a DADT arrangement until you can physically get to the same place and then really begin this relationship, begin to date. And the relationship that he would like to have once you're in the same place, once your relationship really starts, is a monogamous relationship. And that's understood. And that monogamous part of it, the exclusivity part of it, you both agreed would commence once you're both together. And in the interim, DADT. Now, are you lying to him? Well, don't ask, don't tell does require sometimes a little bit of Verbal camouflage, (laughs) not quite lies, but misdirection, maybe we should call it. 
because you've been asked not to tell. And if you are somewhere getting laid that night and your partner asks you what you did last night, telling them the truth violates the agreement you both came to when you established the DADT, which was you're not going to tell. And they may put you in positions at times of having to tell something else. You could say, oh, where I, what did I do last night? Uh, how did I spend the night? Well, I, you know, you probably don't want to know. Then you've told. You've basically told him that you were fucking somebody else and you violated the DAT arrangement. So, yeah, you need to come up with a little white lie. Don't say, oh, last night I cured cancer. Last night I prevented a mass shooting. Last night, don't, don't make something up that's bullshit and heroic. Spent a quiet night at home. Hung out with friends. Went to the movies. And then change the subject. You aren't lying. You have nothing to feel bad about. And uh, I'm sorry. He says to you that he isn't fucking anybody else. And that may be true, but that may not be true. He may have told you he's not fucking anybody else to honor and uphold his side of the DADT arrangement. That may be how he is not telling you. So go with a clear conscience. Go get your ass to wherever it is in the world that he is and get a full STI screening before you go. Hi, Dan. I'm a 51-year-old married woman in a monogamous relationship. I've been married 10 years and have had a secondary partner for five years. Dan, I've always loved sex and it's always been comfortable and great for me. I am postmenopausal already, which is kind of early, and I'm really struggling with my libido and also with having any lubrication to have sex. It's awful. I know pussy isn't your favorite topic, but I'm wondering if you might have any insights about how to improve my libido or my sexual functioning because everything I've tried, personal lubricants, vaginal moisturizers, you know, my doctor recommended uh, vaginal estrogen suppositories. Oh my God, they're so expensive. (sighs) I know there's pills and injections. It's really hard to know if estrogen is safe doctors say they're safe, but I don't trust it. You know, a lot of studies are done by the pharmaceutical companies and ah, it's just a mess. If you have any advice for my broken pussy, would you please let me know? Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Joan Price, my go-to expert on senior sex. At 75 years old, she is an advocate for ageless sexuality, author of several books, including the brand new Sex After Grief, Navigating Your Sexuality After Losing Your Beloved. Hey, Joan, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for calling me in. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for jumping on the phone. What can we do for this woman's broken pussy? It isn't broken. It isn't broken. She's just getting older, and that can be really wonderful. However, there are a couple of issues that are bothering her. Lubrication and libido. Uh, There are two separate issues. The lubrication... uh, Instead of buying drugstore lubricant, which can actually irritate and even dry out the vagina, she needs to go to her local or online feminist sex toy retailer. Um, My blog recommends a few, if if that's a help to her, and get some high-quality lubricant, starting there. As for estrogen... It isn't that estrogen isn't safe, but it isn't safe for everyone. It's really between her and her doctor, whether it's right for her. I don't think she should distrust her doctor. Uh, the, the many studies that have been done, they're really big studies, 
They weren't financed by the pharmaceutical companies. But the doctor can go over her personal health history, her family health history, and decide whether estrogen is right for her. Sounds like the doctor already has recommended it. For those of us, you know, for whom pussy isn't our favorite topic, and actually for, you know, the the caller said pussy isn't my favorite topic. I talk about pussy all the time. It's one of my most favorite topics. It's not what's for dinner at my house, but it is a topic I embrace. Um, What is it that an estrogen (laughs) suppository does for a postmenopausal woman? Well, what happens is with the decrease of estrogen, the natural lubrication does decrease and and it may seem that the vagina is quite dry. The vaginal walls can be thinner and uh, more prone to tearing, little minute tears, little minute lesions. It's not that it gets ripped up. And, And this can be uncomfortable for sex. So by increasing estrogen in the vagina with either the suppositories or an estrogen ring, it can bring back some of the um, the it can enhance the tissues and enhance the lubrication. She still would probably want to use lubricant in addition, but it could make it more comfortable. It'd be like plumping up a vagina. So that that helps us with the the lubrication thing and, and vaginal atrophy. What about the libido thing? The libido drop off. What would you recommend that that she do there to, to to revive her her libido? You know, sometimes as people age, people get a little you know they'll catch a big sad about their changing body, and that big sad can tank your libido. If you can get past the sad and embrace how your body's changing, you may find that your libido kicks back into gear. But if it's something else and it's not that, and you accept your body, and you you know you get the estrogen ring, or and you're using the lube, but your libido is still crawling along the on the floor, what is it that you can do to help revive your libido? What would you recommend, Joan? <laughs> Favorite topic is not pussy. You certainly do describe these things very well. <laughs> no, no, I said pussy is one of my favorite topics. It's not what's for dinner at my house, but it is one of my favorite topics. I talk about it all the time. Yes, you do, and you do it so well. So here's what I want to recommend to this caller, that she understand the difference between spontaneous desire and responsive desire. This can make all the difference in the world for her. It used to be when she was young and those hormones were just pumping away at her that she had spontaneous desire for sex. Her libido was strong. As we age, that decreases. It may feel like we've lost our libido. But once we start getting physiologically aroused, we find, oh my gosh, I really do want to have sex. This feels good. Why don't we do this more often? And everything kicks into gear. The difference being there's a time in your life where you get horny and then have sex, but there might be times in your life where you start having sex and then get horny. That's exactly right. So if she opens herself to that, saying it's not that I'm against having sex, I'm just not really in the mood or I don't feel the drive, just relax into getting physiologically aroused with a partner, with herself, with the right sex toy. And she may find that that desire, that libido just kicks right in and she's back where she wants to be. A terrific resource for people who want to learn more about responsive desire is Emily Nagoski's indispensable and terrific book, Come As You Are. I would also recommend pot, but I recommend pot all the time. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, the, the mainstream sex advice columnists or the, you know, the people in the daily newspapers will tell you, you have a glass of wine. I'm here to tell you, have a pot lozenge. It can really help. There you go. There you go. Or a cup of pot tea. All right. Before we let you go, John, I have a question for you about a new project of yours. 
Jessica Drake's Guide to Wicked Sex, Senior Sex. You're involved, and it's out on DVD now. Can you tell us about it? Oh, I would love to. Yes, I was the co-creator of this of this film with Jessica Drake. It is instructional, and it is also explicit. Uh, I wrote the script for my narration. I'm on camera with my clothes on, <laughs> explaining the kinds of tips that I give in my books and in my talks. And the tips are illustrated by these two couples, sexy seniors who have marvelous hot sex on camera. And it is just a fantastic way of uh, learning about and appreciating older age sexuality. And you can find your way to Jessica Drake's Guide to Wicked Sex, Senior Sex, featuring Joan Price at Joan Price's website, which is joanprice.com. Joan, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. Always a pleasure for me too, Dan. Thanks. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis woman in a straight relationship of five months. I'm currently in treatment for complex PTSD surrounding parental neglect and abuse. It's been difficult, but my triggered episodes and flashbacks are getting shorter and less frequent. My partner's last relationship was emotionally abusive and would repeatedly call and harass him to get his attention. As a result, when I get triggered and call for help, even in a compassionate and loving way, instead of communicating with me, he would just ignore me for hours and work or tell me that he can't deal with it later on. Outside of these episodes, our relationship is loving, kind, passionate, and a lot of fun. I know that I can't change people, so I'm not going to force him to go to therapy to deal with his issues. But at this point, it seems that there isn't much more I can do here other than ask for him to set healthy boundaries as opposed to ghosting me when I get too upset or triggered. Is there anything else we can do to work through this? Or should we veil before it gets too painful? It seems to me, from where I'm sitting, that you're asking a lot of someone you've only been dating for five months. At five months... It can be great. It can be intense. It can be deep in the honeymoon stage. You can be contemplating a future together. You can have said, I love you. But if throughout the entirety of this relationship, you've been working through your trauma from your childhood and your PTSD with a therapist, and also you have been occasionally triggered and calling your brand new boyfriend while he's at work and demanding his time and attention. And that apparently is something maybe because of his past trauma and his past relationships is something he doesn't feel comfortable just providing for you or, or can't provide for you. And you don't characterize what it is that you say to him when you call him in the middle of the day because you're triggered and you need his support or how you come across or, you know, how together you are in those moments you are triggered and not a hundred percent together. Maybe you're asking a lot. Maybe you're asking more than he can give right now at this stage of the relationship. Maybe he isn't the person that when you're triggered and traumatized in this way, your brand new boyfriend isn't the person that you should be turning to for the emotional support you need in those moments when you are triggered. You may be placing more weight on this new relationship than it can bear. That said, you say that these episodes where you're, you're triggered and, and you need emotional support right then are becoming fewer and, and farther apart. And that, that's a very good sign. And you could have a conversation with him about that. You could point out perhaps he hasn't noticed. Perhaps he's not 
tracking them as closely as you are. Perhaps he hasn't noticed that these are coming further and further apart and you should discuss a future with him where they're years apart or not coming again at all. Where you are not having these moments when you're triggered into the PTSD and the panic and whatever else about your traumatic childhood with your abusive parents. And that may make it possible for him to be more present for you in these moments now, knowing that there will be fewer moments like these in the future. He may worry that what he's signing up for in being your boyfriend is this being kind of a constant ask, a a need of yours that he, and he alone it sounds like, is going to have to meet and that he doesn't believe that he has the time at all times to meet that need and maybe not the emotional bandwidth to meet your needs. But if he knows that a time is coming, if he can see a time coming when less will be demanded of him because you will not be triggered as often, maybe he'll be able to hang in there. Maybe he'll be able to call you when you do need him now because he knows you won't need him quite as acutely down the road. But I would advise you to find someone else that when you are triggered, not your brand new romantic partner, but somebody else when you are triggered and you need somebody to be there for you right away and provide you with emotional support or comfort or care immediately or return your call immediately that you find somebody else in your life who can fulfill that role, who can be that person that you turn to during those moments of crisis. You've turned to him. He's not capable of being that person. Even if you explain to him that you're going to need this less and less over time, he still might not be able to be the person you need him to be in those moments. So a sibling, a cousin, a therapist, a professional, a best friend, Is there someone who can be the emotional support human animal that you need in those moments and take all of this burden off of your brand new boyfriend, take all this weight off your brand new relationship or help share that burden and lessen the weight that you're putting on your brand new relationship? Hi, Ben. I've developed a friendship with a married couple over the last year or so. And over the last few months, they've basically opened their bed to me. And it's been super fun. We have developed the trust and communication, which has been really literally unparalleled in my life. And while I've enjoyed sex with both of them, I've been more consistently having sex with the husband. And the wife and I have shared like giddy conversations about how fun and how good he is. She was excited about meeting someone else outside the three of us too. And we were excitedly working our way up to a foursome or several of them, I guess. Um, Outside of the sexy times, uh, we've definitely become really good friends. Quite recently and quite suddenly, uh, I found out that they're getting divorced. And they've been married for many years and she just fell out of love. So a couple of days after that happened, I just, you know, I reached out to both of them. And the husband and I hung out and we had sex again. Um, And at that point, we were really both unsure if we should continue. But ultimately agree that it was not related to their issues and we're not looking to go for a relationship. So we just did it. And um, the day after we had sex, I just had mixed feelings because I'm not sure if uh, it's okay to have a sex with her ex while they go through the split. Um, 
you know, we had planned on making it more of a group thing, and he basically agreed to open up the marriage for her. So, yeah, I see both of them socially often. I don't expect that to change. And the last time I reached out to her via text just to check in, she just seemed unusually short, and I just got concerned and overthinking, I guess. She's clearly dealing with a lot right now, and I don't, I'm not sure if she doesn't want to field all the messages or if she feels some sort of way because I'm still, you know, I had sex with her after or while they're still going through this. Do you think I should approach this with her? Do I ask her if it's okay? I don't feel like it's about me, the divorce, so I don't want it to come across that way like I'm, you know, making anything about me when it's really not about me. Um, I enjoy his company, his friendship, and yes, the sex is amazing. Uh, with someone that I trust, but is this generally an appropriate thing to continue? The world is full of people who met someone while they were married to or partnered with someone else, and then the relationship that they had been in for however much time ended, and they continued to see that other person. Doesn't just happen to open or poly couples, also happens to closed and monogamous couples, because Sometimes people cheat. Sometimes people meet their next partner and become intimate with their next partner before they've wrapped things up with their current partners. The ends of our relationships, open or closed, can be messy and awkward and uncomfortable for all involved. Seems to me that you were a bit blindsided about the divorce news. Seems to me you need some clarity, and I think you can get it pretty easily from him. You're having an easier time talking with him about whether you are indeed the inciting incident of this divorce. You thought that you were in kind of a emerging poly triad. You were the unicorn, and you were dating them as a couple, and then this happens, and you're not sure what your role is right now, and you're not sure if there's some anger or resentment being directed your way by this woman that you had this connection with, by your boyfriend, sort of boyfriend, pseudo boyfriend, kind of boyfriend, possible boyfriend, by his future ex-wife. And you need some clarity about the emotional minefield that you're walking through if you can continue to sleep with him and what's expected of you. Does he want to date you now? Are you guys still together? Are you still going to have a friendship with his ex? Are you guys all going to come out on the other side of this in a supportive and and kind and compassionate way? Or is this war? What kind of divorce are they having? Something you need to factor in. Those are all things you need to factor into your decision about whether you continue to see this guy or not. And it sounds like you care about this woman and you, you feel for her, you ache for her. And so you don't want to continue to see him or see him right now or see him while they're going through this divorce if that causes her pain. She needs to tell you. You may need to ask that directly. You say you reached out to her. Her response was short. Was your reaching out vague and general and ambiguous? Or did you ask the questions of her that you've asked of me and you didn't get a response? My hunch is that your reach out to her was vague and kind but ambiguous. And you didn't ask her the questions about how she's feeling. That you asked me questions that only she has the answer if I were in your shoes, even as I worked these things out, even as I talked to him, even as I reached out to her, I would take a giant step back. They need as much space, time, emotional bandwidth, and their focus really during this divorce needs to paradoxically be on each other. They need to love each other through the end of their marriage. And that may be easier to do if 
you aren't in the picture, if you aren't in the mix. That doesn't mean you can't re-enter the picture after three months, after six months, after a year. Calling things off for now doesn't mean things are off forever. Something else you can make clear in your conversation with this guy. Hey, Dan, 32-year-old queer man in the South, just leaving my first threesome in a few years and can't help but feel kind of shitty about myself. Didn't get hard the entire time and feel like I really ignored my own intuition to say that I was into or into something and um, just felt like I was going at the pace of other people. Needless to say, I left feeling shitty. I think they had a fine time and I'm sure they didn't even notice, but I kept apologizing for not being hard and not being a bigger participant and just felt like I was going through this rabbit hole in my head of you're not performing, you're not making them feel good, you're not bringing pleasure and uniqueness to this awesome experience and also live porn is happening around you, why aren't you hard and feeling shittier and shittier and shittier. I left, I called my best friend, I feel like I've come down and come to realize that they kind of were on their own script and they do this a lot and I felt like I was on different terms than they were, or they were had a shared language and it wasn't really communicated. Anywho, what's going on here? The last time I had a threesome, I had a similar circumstance where I just took forever to get hard when everyone else is in pleasure town. And I want to play. I want to know what's going on and why I can't jump right on in. So I'm calling you back because you, you said you had this terrible experience. You didn't advocate for yourself in the moment. The two guys who are obviously a couple or a regular thing that you had this three-way with, they didn't feel very concerned about your pleasure. They didn't solicit your input. You didn't give it. You didn't advocate. Um, but then you mentioned you had a very similar experience another time in a three-way. Yeah. And I just feel like there's this connection between my brain and my boner that I have not yet unearthed or figured out. And I think after a couple of days of processing, I felt excluded from at least the process or at least the discussion. And for them as a couple, they're frequently going through this and they've got their own kind of routine down. Uh-huh. And so I felt like I was not advocating for my boundaries and I felt like I was playing catch up. Right. But you didn't have these two, three ways with the same couple, did you? That is correct. This is a new couple. Okay, but you had a similar problem in a previous three-way with a different couple. Yeah, that's correct. Have you had a successful three-way with a couple ever? I have. I I was a when I back when I lived in New York, I was like a unicorn and <laughs> with this one couple and it felt like my guest appearances were equally matched and equally welcomed and it just was a different environment. But as I've gotten older, I feel like I've developed these like prudence what have you like i've got live porn happening around me this is a very sexually charged environment that i have thought about but these this as i get older they just feel like they are too much for me okay well you know sometimes what's right for you when you're 22 isn't right for you when you're 42 but you also in your call said that you want to be able to do this you want to be able to tap back into apparently what worked for you about three ways back in new york back in the day Mm-hmm. That's so correct. What we have to tease out here is the difference. Were you just with better couples then? Were you with couples then that you know were concerned about what you wanted to experience and and you know didn't just want to like plug you into their fantasy extra entertainment, but wanted to you know connect with you 
And perhaps you're selling yourself short. Is there a scarcity mentality? Do you fear advocating for yourself in the moment now with new single partners or new pairs of partners because you fear they'll walk on you or, or, or turn you down in a way that you wouldn't have been turned down when you were a 20-something in New York? Like, what's going on under the surface? No, I think single partners, I know how to advocate for myself. And it feels like a very dynamic and diplomatic and like sharing is caring kind of environment. It's not where I run into trouble. I am very interested in scratching the surface at different sexual encounters and with other partners and with other people. I'm overwhelmed with the thought of group sex. And so I guess three ways and with couples, especially ones that I jive with, feel like dipping my toe in the water to get into more adventurous situations. Um, The couple that I used to play with way back in the day, they were discovering as I was discovering. So like... Mm -hmm. I felt like we were learning together and we were communicating in the process. This, I think just surprised me. Like that we, it just was not talked about much. It was, you know, despite laying around naked and getting comfortable, there, there was not enough of this. That's easily controlled for you have to use your words. You have to speak up. Tell me about it in advance of, the action and not just fly blind into it. And, and, and part of that speaking up, I think for a third is you determining whether or not this couple sees you as a person or sees you as a prop. Are you a human being with a dick that's there to enhance their experience, but also to have a wonderful experience of his own or are you a dildo or, yeah, or an, or an aura? I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And, and I think you have to be that explicit with, with the couple that you want to play with. Like I've had some bad, you know, if they're coming after you, if they're like trying to talk you into going to bed with them, you can say, you know, I've had some bad three ways where I just felt like a, a, a hole or a, or, a, or a dildo and those, and those weren't good and I couldn't get hard. Like I need to feel like there's, you know, not you're, you're proposing triad marriage to me, but I feel like I need to feel like we're connecting emotionally erotically on some level where we're going to have a great short-term relationship. And by short-term, I mean tonight, but it's still a connection. It's still a relationship or I can't do this or I'm not going to be into it. And then what does that mean when you translate like we need to connect or I need to feel connected into action? Like were they only kissing each other? Were they staring deep into their eyes? Were there times where you were moved away because like one of the partners was feeling insecure and had to assert his, you know, right to demand the attention of the partner that you had just been kind of focused on and focusing on. You can discuss those things in advance and it's possible, you know, when you have, it's a conversation about consent and people are often like, ah, conversations about consent. They're not sexy. And we've talked about that a lot on this show, like staring deeply into someone's eyes and saying, I really want to kiss you. It's so hot. You know, it's hotter. I think than lunging at someone and suddenly kissing them and hoping it's what they want too. Because it like draws out that moment of erotic tension where what might happen and, you know, determining if you're both on the same page. And you can have a hot conversation that's basically about, you know, the terms under which you want to consent to, you know, being intimate with a a pair, with having this three-way. You can have a flirtatious conversation about what needs to happen for you to feel a part of it, for your dick to be present and hard during it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, I think hindsight is twenty twenty on this one. The contractual conversation doesn't have to be so boring and bland and line by line. Like it can be a flirtatious discussion of what I want to do with you or to the both of you. And I just don't think I, I didn't have it at this time. And, and so know, when I called you, I felt so 
I felt so deflated. Like, I couldn't, I didn't stand up for myself. Right, you failed yourself. And, and, you know, the couple may not have done anything wrong. They were flying blind. You were new to them, too. I don't want to, like, condemn this poor couple who, for all we know, are listening and feeling terrible right now. But the the, the hesitation a lot of people have around initiating this conversation, particularly if they feel like the very special guest star and they're not allowed to make demands, is you're worried that you're going to ruin it in advance, right? Yeah. By asking, by putting your needs out there. But the fact is, if you don't put your needs out there, if you don't ask, it's highly likely it'll be ruined in the moment for you. And if it's ruined in the moment for you, it'll be ruined in the moment for them. Because they probably clocked your dick. They might have said to each other after you left, they might have felt bad that it wasn't as positive or sexy an experience for you as they hoped it would be. And they didn't know what they were doing wrong because you didn't tell them. And they couldn't come through for you in a way that would have turned you on because they didn't know what to do. And so they may have just reverted to what worked for them because obviously what they were just like busting out wasn't working for you. And they didn't have the temerity or the good sense to say, hey, let's take a break. Let's go eat some ice cream because like it doesn't feel like we're connecting. Can we talk about that for a minute and then just go stand around naked in the kitchen for a minute and then have that convo? Like they could have yeah. they could have initiated that convo. But you now know going forward, you want to have these experiences. You want to have these three ways. You have to do your screw diligence and have this convo and, and, and advocate for yourself before you're in bed with a tangle of six arms, six legs, and three dicks. And if, and if then the three-way <laughs> totally right. three doesn't happen, they're not receptive to the things that you say that you need or you want to be a part of this experience, great. You spared yourself an awful three-way. You don't have to feel bad about it afterwards. 100%. And I was totally in my own head that I just couldn't see the forest through the trees on this one. But both parties were really kind. And next day, just totally knew that I did not have a great experience. And they forged ahead. And like, it wasn't great at the moment, but it was great overall. And they both checked in about my feelings afterwards. And I thought that was really kind. And then you know what? They would probably then be a good couple to to circle back with and have the three-way, you know, have a have a rematch. Do it again. Advocate for yourself in advance. Obviously, they sensed that you weren't clicking with them, but they didn't know how to click with you because you didn't fucking tell them. You know, a, a couple that's been together for a while, they have their stops and starts. They figure it out. They catch a groove. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a shorthand physically uh, around intimacy, and they can fall into that groove. You have to sort of generate that quickly in a three-way and you do that not by using your limbs and dicks and holes you do that by using your words i totally agree good luck i'm i'm humbled i'm humbled by it but and i appreciate your call um and it's nice to know that i've come to the same kind of level but to hear your words reinforce it is really great thank you good luck call that couple again all right the fact that they were so solicitous the fact that they were so solicitous the morning after I think is a really good sign. And I think you could have a great three-way with them if you spoke up. Yeah, I think we're maybe heading in that direction. And um, I'm grateful for it. Well, great. Then give us a call and give us an update when it happens. Will do. Okay, Dan. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old gay man from Maryland. Um, my current boyfriend and I have been together for about 10 months now. And it's just run into a problem. So I am um, very out. I'm very publicly out to all my friends, family, everyone. And he is not. He hasn't come out to his family or anybody like that. I've introduced him to my parents multiple times. Uh, we've been on vacation with my parents together. He knows all of my friends. And so I've, been, like, I've introduced him to everybody that is important in my life. 
just a few weekends ago, he had his parents visit from out of town, and they spent time together and everything, and I was not invited. So having him meet my parents and not being able to meet his kind of upset me a little bit, and I, I brought it up to him last week at dinner when we were together and everything. And he kind of gave me the same response that he's given to me in the past when I talked about it. He said that um, it's because of his job. He was supposed to stay here until this past this past August. Um, but then he got a, his contract extended for another year. So I was, I was kind of hopeful, like, oh, okay, maybe since he'll be here longer and there's more of a chance that this will be a serious relationship that he'll come out. And he still hasn't. Um, there's been other occasions where I kind of brought it up to him and, I, I don't want to force him to come out or anything like that. I, I definitely understand that it's up to everyone individually to decide that for themselves. But um, I also don't want to feel like like a dirty secret or something. And that kind of that kind it's made me feel kind of hurt in the past. And so he just kind of gives me a half-hearted apology and then gives me that excuse of oh I'm not sure if I'm going to be here and I if I want to go through all the trouble of coming out to my parents, but. That just makes me feel like I'm I'm not important enough. I don't know what to do here, Dan. I've been very conflicted about being more upfront with him, and I don't want to give him an ultimatum and be like, okay, I'm going to break up with you if you don't come out. But I also don't want to just be this person's little secret. You should break up with him, and you should tell him why you're breaking up with him. You don't want to be his dirty little secret, and you have learned after 10 months with him that dating someone who is closeted exacts too high an emotional cost for you. and You're not willing to date someone who's closeted. As I have phrased that, it's not quite an ultimatum. It's not, I will continue to date you. You can continue to ride my dick so long as you go right now and tell your parents that you're gay. Ultimatum, come out, we can keep dating. No, 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 speak your truth. We can't keep dating because I now know that dating a closet case, dating somebody who's closeted, dating someone who hasn't told mom and dad, it's too emotionally painful for me. I don't want to be shoved back into a closet. I came out for a reason. I came out because I didn't want to be in the closet. And now I'm back in a closet. I'm in your closet with you. And it sucks. That's why I came out. Didn't want to be in there. Adjust your expectations, though. You know, his parents came to town and you were not invited. Obviously, you were not invited. Obviously, when you're closeted and gay, you don't, you can't risk inviting the guy who's sodomizing you to hang out with mom and dad, lest they perceive some sort of tell. Lest you, in a moment, look at him with batty moon eyes or put your hand on his leg or something, some unguarded moment that could potentially out him. Having you in the same room with mom and dad, too great a risk if his first priority is maintaining his perceived heterosexuality, is shoring up his closet. It was unreasonable for you to expect that he had met your parents and his parents were coming to town. It was unreasonable for you to expect that your closeted boyfriend was going to introduce you to his parents. And if you're not willing to play those sorts of games, if you don't want to be hidden, if you don't want to be sent away, if you don't want to be the dirty little secret, go forth and date no closet cases again. Get thee out of his closet, go, right? And then it's up to him. You know, sometimes it's getting dumped that convinces someone that they, they really need to do is come the fuck out of the closet. Sometimes it's getting dumped that opens the closet case's eyes up to the fact that what they're asking of the romantic partners that they want to have is too great. That exacts too high an emotional toll. And they're going to have to face up to the fact that they will get dumped again and again and again. 
by guys that they love or really like or really feel like they could be with because those guys aren't willing to be the dirty little secret. So you may inspire him to come out after you break up with him. And then maybe you two can get back together. Or maybe he will then be a better boyfriend for some gay guy in the future. And by the time he is out and single and looking, you will have a boyfriend that you like more who was out the day you met him. Hi, Dan. My name's Becca. I'm a 27-year-old bisexual cisgender female. I am just wondering if a book for sex positions exists for lesbians. If it doesn't, I'm going to make one. And if it does, please send me a link. Girl Sex 101 by Allison Moon. It is a terrific resource for people who have sex with women, particularly for women who have sex with women. But it applies for people of all genders who are attracted to women and want to explore all those crazy sex positions and all that woman-on-woman sex stuff. So, yes, I do have a book recommendation for you. Girl Sex 101, which you get at your local independent bookstore now. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your hashtagged Savage Lovecast tweets. Juliet tweets, hey, at fake Dan Savage, eye roll emoji to you not tweeting about Bi Visibility Day. Fucking Twitter police. I know you've helped me be more honest about my heteroflexibility. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Juliet. Rubber Cake tweets, it is so much better to be alone because you're alone than to be alone because you're with the wrong person. Hashtag Savage Lovecast at Fake Dan Savage. Actually, it was our guest this week, Joan Price, who came up with that observation. She said that first on my show. Better to be alone because you're alone than alone because you're with the wrong person. And we always like to credit Joan with that brilliant observation. And finally, MW Concert Video tweets, you said in episode 675, Dan, that if you make someone your closet, that requires you to hollow them out. That was very moving. I've been reading your column for longer than either of us want to know. And this may be the best advice you've ever given. Thank you. Well, thank you at MW Concert Video for that. And thank you for being a reader for such a long time. But I like to think the best advice I ever gave was uh, hashtag fuck first. If you want me to read your tweet about the show on an upcoming episode, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hello, this is a response to the caller from episode 676 who felt rejected and hurt by the guy she went on a date with who said he wasn't emotionally available. Um, if he was put off by you, it's possible that your vibe was too future plan Z. I know that sounds funny, but nothing will make a person run to the hills like feeling that someone is projecting their idea of you and their future with you onto you. As Dan said, it could be a number of reasons. However, if he deleted his account entirely after emailing you, it's most likely that he legitimately wasn't ready or is still possibly in and out of a relationship. Or he just isn't into online dating. Maybe that's why he commended you for putting yourself out there. I've personally been in a position of not really being ready to date, and the timing was off and just wasn't emotionally available and responded similarly to this guy. So bottom line, the likelihood that it was about you or something you should take personally is very slim in my opinion. Good luck. Hello. This is about the caller in the last episode who had a sex partner who wanted to film her while giving oral sex. My recommendation is if you're ever hesitant about a sex partner, a lover filming you or taking photos, suggest them using your phone. And that way, maybe you're turned on by the idea, but you're not comfortable with that. There are trust issues with that person, and it's more difficult to admit to those trust issues than 
uh, discussing the fact that you're turned on by it. Uh, so simply have them use your phone. It's hot. They get to experience the act of doing it. You get to experience the act of being filmed or having photos taken of you. And then it's entirely up to you what to do with those photos. However, do be careful about automatic cloud storaging, etc. In other words, if you do delete them, be aware that they might have been saved in one of your cloud services. Hi guys, this is about the woman who was wondering whether she needed to disclose to her tattoo artist that she found the experience erotically charged. Dan, I know you get calls like this every now and then, someone asking if they need to tell someone that this is going to be part of their fantasy life, if they're involving them in their kink, you know, without their consent, if they need to disclose that they're talking to their partner about them. Um, Like, if there is such thing as political correctness gone mad, I think it's this. Like these questions have to stop, really. It's so indulgent. Since when is our fantasy life someone else's business? We all have fantasies. You're not violating someone because you have a fantasy about them. None of their business. We we all do it. I mean, I was doing it, God, at the age of 11 in maths class. The only reason I went to maths class was because I was fantasizing about the boy in the class. Do I need to tell him, the maths teacher? Like, it's silly. Stop. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. We appreciate all your calls. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival Hump is closing out its 2019 fall tour this weekend in Austin, Texas. There are still a few tickets left. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash tour to find out more. This is your last chance to see the films in the 2019 Hump Film Festival. Nothing is released online. Hump makes it possible for people to be porn stars in movie theaters for a weekend without having to be porn stars on the internet for eternity. So if you missed the 2019 Hump Film Festival and you want to see these films, and you know what, you want to see these films, you're going to have to get to Austin, Texas this weekend. And in other Hump news, our 15th annual Hump Opening Film Festival with brand new films and your chance to vote on your favorite ones and give out the Hump Awards. That new festival opens with an all-new slate of films this November in Seattle, Olympia, Portland, San Francisco, and Vancouver, British Columbia. That festival will tour the country in 2020. Head over to humpfilmfest.com now to get your tickets for the opening weekends before they sell out. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Joan Price on Twitter at Joan Price. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.